Have you ever felt a twinge of worry about AI taking over your job or diluting your creativity? Well, what if you could turn that fear into creative fuel? We've just published an amazing new ebook called The Four Keys to Success in an AI World. And this is more than just a guide. It's a deep exploration into the human skills that AI can't touch. The skills that are essential for standing out and thriving, no matter how much technology evolved. We're talking about real differentiators here, like creativity, emotional intelligence, critical thinking, and much more. Inside, you'll find actionable insights and strategies to develop these skills, whether you're a creative person, a business person, or just simply someone who loves personal development. This isn't a story about tech taking over. It's a story of human creativity thriving alongside AI. Picture this, AI as your creative co-pilot, not just as a tool, but a collaborator that enhances your unique human skills. The Four Keys ebook will show you exactly how to do that and view AI in a new way that empowers you instead of overshadows you. Transform your creative potential today. Head over to unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys. Use the number four, K-E-Y-S. That's unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys and download your free copy. What causes a lot of people to quit, it's the first time they fail. It's the first time they weren't good enough because it doesn't matter how great of a football player you are. It doesn't matter how strong you are. I can have you do push-ups in the cold California surf until your arms give out. I, there's no, no matter how strong you are, eventually your arms will give out. That's what SEAL training does. It pushes you past your limits. A lot of people aren't comfortable going past their limits. They have a mindset that's become fixed. They only like to do things that they know they can be good at. They, they relate all of their confidence. confidence. They, they tie in everything that makes them feel good about themselves by being naturally good at something or being able to do something with little to no effort. And I think the guys who make it through SEAL training, I know this is for sure true for me and the people I know, what we pride ourselves on, what we feed off of is the effort. I'm Srini Rao, and this is the Unmistakable Creative Podcast, where you get a window into the stories and insights of the most innovative and creative minds who've started movements, built thriving businesses, written best-selling books, and created insanely interesting art. For more, check out our 500-episode archive at unmistakablecreative.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Wow. Nice. Yeah. 
What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bombas socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. As creators, we're always on the move. Whether it's a live podcast event, a pop-up shop, or a workshop, we're constantly interacting with community, and that's where Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe comes in. Imagine this. You're at a live event, a listener loves your merch, or a participant wants to sign up for your course on the spot. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, you can accept their payments right there and then, right from your iPhone so there's no extra hardware or no delays. Total game changer. It's not just for creators. Any business owner can do this. It's about making transactions smoother and much more personal, growing your business in your way. We've been using Stripe for our products and courses for a long time. And now with Tap to Pay on iPhone, you can take your business to the next level too. So visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone to learn more. Remember folks, with Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, your business is always at your fingertips. Eric, welcome to the Unmistakable Creative. Thanks so much for taking the time to join us. Hey, thanks for having me on. Yeah, my pleasure. So I came across you by way of our mutual friend, Kamal Ravikant, and he informed me that you are a Navy SEAL. And, uh, you know, I know anybody that Kamal referred would be absolutely fascinating and interesting. So uh, I want to start by actually asking you a, f- a question that a friend asked me in an interview, and that is, can you give me three adjectives that describe your childhood and a story and an example of each? Ooh, so I got to start with saying happy. (laughs) Um, Then the second one would be alone. And then the third one would be lost. Okay. Okay. Yeah, that's a, that's a good one. I like it already. All right. So So, go for it. So happy. My, the reason I say happy is my memories of my childhood uh, were all good. Uh, You know, growing up when I was young, I, you know, played sports, hung out with my dad. All I ever wanted to be was like my dad. Um, I say it specifically because my older brothers and sisters, they have a different uh, memory of it um, where the relationship with our parents were a little more strained. Um, They didn't sound like they had the same happy childhood I had. I was the youngest by six years from my sister and then 12 years from my brother. Mm -hmm. So I think I got my parents uh, on the tail end uh, when they are a little calmer, a little more tired, and a little more, you know, willing just to let me have my way, which would make for uh, a happy kind of experience as a child, right? And but that would lead into some other problems, you know, as well. So, um, those are my memories, and the reason why that's important is shoot, what was the second one? Did I go alone? You said alone. I think it was happy alone, and I don't remember the other one. Lost. Yeah. Sorry. Yes. 
Yep, happy alone, a loss. So the reason it com comes to alone is my, my father got sick, about 15 years old, and I, I tell this story every time I pretty much talk about anything. And he had diabetes. He was the captain of our sheriff's department, uh, bishop of our church, six foot three, black hair, olive skin. Uh, I got lucky. I dodged the genetic bullet, five foot nine, red hair, freckles. So missed that one by just an inch. Um, but all I ever wanted to do was be like him. That was my entire purpose in life. I was going to go into law enforcement. That's part of how I became a SEAL. And when he got sick, the diabetes started to get him. But then what he got hit with was this thing called clinical depression. And what clinical depression is, for people who don't know, it's basically a chemical imbalance in the brain. And a lot of us have, you know, sad moments. But this was something that was hitting him all the time. And it was to the extent that he had to go to Stanford Medical Center and get electric shock treatment. So he got just got mentally hammered from his experience there. And this was back, you know, in the 80s where, you know, the science wasn't quite as refined and as uh, it was a little more primitive back then. So where the alone part comes in is he started to not really, it's hard to say he checked out of my life, but he, it was, there was definitely a moment around 15 where I remember thinking, well, dad, you know, don't feel bad that you're not able to be with me and do the same things you've done with me in the past because I had such a happy childhood, we've done so many things together. And that's why I remember my childhood as being so happy, mm. is because that's how I would describe it to him. And you know, what you repeat in your head is kind of what you remember. Uh, but I was old enough to know that I still needed him, but I was too young to be without him. Or better said, I was too young to be without him, but just old enough to know I still needed him, which launched me into this world of personal development, which is all part of my story of how I ended up becoming a writer, etc. But staying with these three free, uh, themes, um, I got it got lonely, and as I look back at it now, and I look at my current life, either even I see where that aloneness still affects me, and what happened was my role model, my mentor, my kind of guiding light was gone, and you know that leaves you in a world where you can have people around you, but when you don't know where you're going, um, it can start to feel scary, and so that really impacted me when I was young, that alone part, mm -hmm. and then the natural progression, the third part was the lost piece, right? So. I started trying to figure out things on my own. This is where I delved into personal development, read every book, listened to every tape. And even at a very young age, I was like, man, I've got to fill this gap. And nothing was working. I wasn't moving forward. I actually started to kind of spiral downwards. And that's why I went into the Navy at such a young age is because I could tell I was losing myself. And if I didn't get some structure around me, some sort of discipline, something to keep me safe, I was going to be in trouble. You know, I was a kind of a California surfer type living that kind of lifestyle um, the stereotypical lifestyle, not really the lifestyle now, but I was heading down a, da uh, down a path um, that I think would have led to destruction. And I have many, many family members that have gone down certain paths in life that have really caused some pain. So those would be my three things, um, that last part. And then really the story of finding myself and finding my way out of it is really, that's basically what I do for a living is talk about that story and then share that with people now. Okay. So we'll get there. Um, what I'm curious about is, is the two different parenting experiences that your brothers and sisters and you had, how has that impacted your relationship with your siblings? Ooh, I don't, we'd have to go to some counseling all together, <laughs> I think, to really unpack it. Um, I think, you know, my brothers, my whole family is full of love. And my, and my brother, my older brother, who, you know, basically became a surrogate father to me many of the years of my life, my, my sister... Um, they are they are full of love. It is who they are. Um, I think I, I'm sure there's something 
that, you know, I was the baby of the family and every time they talk about childhood, I'm like, I don't know what you guys are talking about. Everything was great for me. And I'm sure in a way that could possibly grate on them a little bit or, or bother them a little bit, but it, they don't say anything. So that's why when I, to answer that question, we'd have to probably unpack that with some counseling, I would think, you know, what's really going on? How is it really affecting, affecting our relationship? Um, I do not know actually, but, um, it, it's a, it's kind of a weird space. I, actually, I, I, I can answer that even better. How it does affect our relationship is it has me kind of keep a distance. Just talking this through with you, I'm, it's having me, you know, it's opened me up to really what's going on a little bit there as I think it through. Uh, because if, if you have a, a parent with a disability, even if you're an adult and the disability happens when you're an adult, and what happens is conversations where you're reflecting on Christmas, you're reflecting on childhood. You know, normally you'd be talking about good family memories, but my brother and sister, they're not always talking about those things. So it kind of robs me of my fond memories because they're talking about some of the negative stuff. So I would say how it really affects us is it has me pull away a little bit um, because I'm trying to protect that childhood or at least my memory of it. And if we fill those, mem- those times that we should be talking about, you know, going out on Christmas Eve to look for Rudolph and Santa, and we fill those in with painful memories that they may or may not have. Um, that has me pull back a little bit. Make sense? Yeah. Yeah. No, it definitely does. Um, I'm, I'm curious. You know, what has been the impact of not having a father figure from that age on the way that you raise your own children? Like, what has been the the impact on your relationship with your own kids? I would say it's a form of hyper awareness. So, you know, when I look. I, and I got married very young. I was 18 years old, had my first kid at 19. You know, by 22 or 3, I had two kids, you know, very, just shot out of the gates. Um, not in an irresponsible manner. Like, I, I, that's what I wanted to do. Uh, but that's one of those things that as a father, as a parent now, I look back on and I'm like, who are the crazy people that didn't even say anything? <laughs> you know, didn't say, hey, <laughs> you know, pump the brakes. Or, you know, what, like, what's going on? So it's made me hyper aware you know, being in my 40s now, I'm like, okay, I can look back and I'm not blaming anybody, but I can see the reasons for some of my own personal behavior, some of my own personal challenges. I can see some of the parenting gaps. Uh, so it has me hyper aware of what I'm doing with them. And that's part of, again, it, the, the story continues, right? Like I said, losing that presence of my dad drove me into personal development and it drives me today. I mean, my job is writing about development and performance. And that's part of what I'm doing is I'm trying to fill that gap for my kids as well. So walk me through the journey of, you know, being this 15-year-old kid um, who, you know, suddenly loses a father figure to becoming a Navy SEAL. Like, how do you go from, okay, I'm having challenges with a dad who's sort of no longer present to study personal development? Because I don't think that's not the most sort of logical sequence of events that I think would occur in somebody's mind. Um, So I'm I'm curious, you know, what is the journey from there to becoming a Navy SEAL? And then what I want to spend the rest of our time talking about is your time working as a SEAL. So, like I said, I, I wanted to be like my dad, and I, that journey to SEAL teams is, you know, that time I spent with him, the life he'd lived, for even my grandfather, my great-grandfather, you know, just the life they lived, that left a mark on me. That is what pulled me through. That's still what I wanted to be like. So, though he was coming out of my life, I still had this idea of who I wanted to be. And I knew I needed to drive towards that somehow. 
so I either had two choices. I could go to college, of which you know I, I don't think I would have been able to handle the lack of structure. Or to me, the natural thing was to become a SEAL because I was still chasing after that idea of becoming like my father, like the sheriff or my grandfather was an FBI agent, that kind of thing. That's what led me down that path. And, and, and like one of the morals of that story is whether parents are around or they're not around, a lot of what kids are going to do, even adult kids, is they're going to follow in their footsteps. So that led me to want to become something more than, myse- more than myself. Then, of course, you know, being a young kid, red hair, freckles, you get picked on a little bit. And I mean, no major bullying, but, you know, and, and when your dad's not always there to walk you through that and teach you the finer art of fighting back or defending yourself, you're left with a little bit of a gap where you're thinking, man, I got to go figure out where to go get toughened up, where to go deal with some stuff like that. So that kind of combination of wanting to follow his path and fill in that kind of manhood gap, the, the SEAL teams. I mean, I originally went to the Army Airborne Rangers to sign up there. I was actually enlisted in the Army um, because what I was looking for was the toughest, most difficult thing to do. So I thought, okay, I'll go be an Army Ranger, maybe Special Forces. Uh, but then I saw the movie Navy SEALs back in the 1990s, and I realized, wow, there's a Special Forces in the water. I surfed. Um, I went to go to the recruiter and saw the video. Me and my buddy saw the video, and we're like, whoa, that looks too hard. And that's when I knew. I'm like, okay, that's it. I need to find the top. I need to find the best thing possible. And that's what pushed me into the SEAL teams. Okay. Uh, I really do want to do a deep dive into what it's actually like to be a Navy SEAL. Because I think, to be honest with you, my entire perception of, of what it might be like to be a Navy SEAL is from watching way too many movies. Um, you know, you know. according to Jerry Bruckheimer, I get to do all sorts of glamorous things and blow shit up and, you know, come out of it unscathed, you know, despite having to go through incredibly difficult things. So I guess where I want to start is is with the actual training and what important life lessons you've taken away from the training that somebody listening to this might benefit from. So, I mean, to start with the description of the training, so SEAL training is six months long, maybe closer to seven, just depending on when you check in, and it's broken into three different phases. Uh, First phase is what's known as the conditioning phase, second phase is dive phase, and third phase is uh, land warfare demolition phase. Uh, That's the basics. And then after that, I'm going to give you the 30,000 foot view. Then after that, you go to what's called SEAL qualification training. That'll be another three months. So now you're about nine, you know, almost 10 months into the deal. And SEAL qualification training is basically where you go through, um, I guess, training packages, for lack of a better word, phases, where you do, you know, you follow the acronym Sea, Air, Land. That's what SEAL stands for. So you do air, air phase, diving phase, um, land warfare phase, close quarters defense phase. Um, basically, you take a SEAL platoon's workup, condense it into three months, and that's where you become qualified, and you get that trident that you wear on your chest. And then you go to a SEAL team, and then your SEAL platoon, you do a year and a half workup, which you cover all of those foundations again, but over a longer period of time, and then you deploy for six months. So that's the big general overview. Mm-hmm. Now, the life lessons are, uh, they're incredible, and they're lasting, and they're absolutely applicable. Obviously, that's my world. They're, they're absolutely applicable to all other areas of life. And here's why. Because the training and what you're working to accomplish and produce is so extreme, it's, it's at such a high level, you must either master or have had mastered fundamental principles of performance. You have to understand mental self-regulation or you have to have naturally inherited it, or like have it in you. So there are certain things you need to have Um, to make it through SEAL training. Now, I would say SEAL training is not the place to develop a lot of those things. 
it's more of a place where you get those things are tested. So SEAL training, a lot of us look at it that it was more of a, I call it a cold water filtering process mm -hmm. where you're filtering out people who have not yet had the opportunity to develop those skills and tenets and, and mental self-regulation. Um, how, it, how it's applicable to real life now is because it's coming from proven performance. Like those, those are real operations we do, real successes. We dominate the battlefield. Like it's like an NFL Super Bowl team. Like, okay, whatever they got, whatever mental mindset, whatever thinking, however their approach is, we know it works, right? So when we come out into life, I break it, we break it down into tenets, things like communication, courage, responsibility, respect, honor, innovation. Like these are all things, these are what we call the tenets of mental toughness, right? These are all things that people think they're born with, that they're fixed like their eye color, that, that they either have it or they don't, but they're absolutely teachable things. And the relevance here is the reason why I, we're able to kind of break it down. And I'm not like pitching what we do so much as describing how it's applicable to life, but you can look back on these extreme circumstances where you stay up for four or five days at a time, where you're enduring all this cold, where you're always getting tested, where you're always getting pushed, and you can say, oh yeah, that's where you know my ability to respect things or my ability to persevere through things, that's where that was tested. And now I'm able to look back and see how it applies everywhere around me because those things can be broken down and taught and trained into people. Um, so it's an incredible metaphor or maybe the word's analogy uh, for life. And that's why I use it for everything I do. What causes people to quit? Um, and what are, the, what are the characteristics that you saw that people had in common that couldn't make it through? So there's a few things that cause people to quit. This, is, this kind of falls into the language of perseverance here. One would be I, they're there for the wrong reasons. So they're going there. Um, it's hard to even, I don't even know what all the wrong reasons are necessarily, but I think sometimes people go there out of just pure patriotism. Um, they go there because they think they should. Uh, you know, a whole handful of different reasons, but I think one of the number one reasons to be there is actually quite selfish. You, you want to be there because you believe it's going to incredibly impact your life and elevate you and launch you uh, into the stratosphere for your own personal life. And, and that sounds a little funky. I think everyone thinks of military as like, oh, these are just pure sacrificial patriots, uh, which is true. Uh, but this is more like being selfishly altruistic. I mean, you're going to start off selfish because, man, I'm here because this is going to make my life work. This is going to make me stand out. This is going to have me be able to do all kinds of things later in life. And I think that's important for people. And then it comes down to self-regulation. And there's all kinds of um, psychology around all of this, but self-regulation, right, or the ability to persevere, the ability to continuously work towards an, a goal or objective or a promise despite the challenges, difficulties, and failures. A lot of people, here's a great way to look at it. You look at, like, they call them D1 football players, like mm -hmm. athletes from college. Those are the highest level. And you can see guys come in who are always good at, like, something like football. They're big. They're strong. They're always the best on the team. Um, they got to college. They got picked up and recruited to college. And then they're, they're practicing, and, and everything's working out well for them. The problem is they never had to really travel through adversity. Mm -hmm. So what causes a lot of people to quit, it's the first time they fail is the first time they weren't good enough. Because it doesn't matter how great of a football player you are, it doesn't matter how strong you are, I can have you do push-ups in the cold California surf until your arms give out. I, there's no, no matter how strong you are, eventually your arms will give out. That's what SEAL training does, it pushes you past your limits. A lot of people aren't comfortable going past their limits. They have a mindset that's become fixed. 
They only like to do things that they know they can be good at. They, they relate all of their confidence. confidence. They, they tie in everything that makes them feel good about themselves by being naturally good at something or being able to do something with little to no effort. And I think the guys who make it through SEAL training, I know this is for sure true for me and the people I know, what we pride ourselves on, what we feed off of is the effort. We feed off our ability to continuously run up against an op- obstacle and fail over and over again. At some point in our life, we had been praised for that. At some, po- And I know when it happened for me, um, I know exactly the moment that it happened for me where I got turned on by the idea of the praise coming from the effort. And I believe that's what really separates people in SEAL training and in life and in business and as an entrepreneur and as a writer. Right. For people who didn't make it through um, – like you look back at them now, uh, one, I'm, I'm curious, you know, what do you know about the people who didn't make it through and what happened with their lives? And are, is that indicative of any future pattern uh, based on your experience? I think if we look at the mindset, if, if you take that, I, I, I believe her name is Carol Dweck. She yes. has a book. Okay. You know, Carol Dweck. So she has, there's a whole there's a whole experiment she did with fifth graders, um, and I, my my business partner Larry Yatch, um, who, who we teach organizations, he had brought this study up, and I'm like, oh yeah, that's 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 our deal. That idea of that mindset, that I think she refers to it as fixed versus growth, which is the same way I would think of it. Um, but people don't. Here's what it is. If you look at like an athlete or a, a musician, and you're familiar with the concept 10,000 hours, right? Yes. This idea. Okay. Laird Hamilton has this, the famous big wave surfer. He has this really cheesy video because it's from way back in the day uh-huh. where he talks about learning how to windsurf. And he, and he said, I have to fall a thousand times. So he was like this awesome surfer trying to learn to windsurf. And he had like all these girls around him and little kids doing better. And he's like, <laughs> yeah. He's like, whatever. I don't care. I, I fall a thousand times. So people who aren't used to that, people who aren't ready for that, that's going, to, that's going to be a problem when they try to go through SEAL training and it's going to be a problem when they go into their careers and try to, try to get anywhere because you're, we're not really valued for just being able to do something on day one. The people who get valued and, and, and have good careers and are successful and make a lot of money, they're the ones doing things that people can't just show up and do. You know what I'm saying? Like that's what's valued because it's scarce. So I think people who go to SEAL training and quit um, because they're not open to the idea of constant failure, they're going to continuously have trouble in life until they figure that part out. Nothing's fixed, right? They can figure that part out. Someone can teach them. Someone can have them become aware, but that's going to affect them for the rest of their life if they don't get that handled. Oh man, my first job out out of the SEAL teams is I was training high-level financial advisors and the new guys that would come in who weren't making any money and were trying to start this new career, I would almost be in tears when I would describe this thing to them because I'm like, guys, you keep living your life as if your current capacities and desires are fixed. You don't understand this principle of 10,000 hours or a thousand falls. There is something beyond yourself, but you have to just keep doing it every day even though it doesn't feel like it's not like it's going to work. And I'd feel for these guys so bad because they'd be like, no, I'm just not naturally good at this. I have to move on and keep failing. 
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. As creators, we're always on the move. Whether it's a live podcast event, a pop-up shop, or a workshop, we're constantly interacting with community, and that's where Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe comes in. Imagine this. You're at a live event, a listener loves your merch, or a participant wants to sign up for your course on the spot. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, you can accept their payments right there and then, right from your iPhone so there's no extra hardware or no delays. Total game changer. It's not just for creators. Any business owner can do this. It's about making transactions smoother and much more personal, growing your business in your way. We've been using Stripe for our products and courses for a long time, and now with Tap to Pay on iPhone, you can take your business to the next level too. So visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone to learn more. Remember, folks, with Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, your business is always at your fingertips. Mm. Ah, so rough. So, uh, you know, I, I'm definitely familiar with the work of Carol Dweck and the, the fixed and the growth mindset. Um, two things I'm curious about. One is, in your SEAL training, did you see people who actually shifted from a fixed to a growth mindset during the training process? And for people who aren't necessarily going to go through SEAL training or become Navy SEALs, 
how do they make a shift from the fixed mindset to a growth mindset, especially if they're later in life? I did. I had a really good friend. Um, I don't know how he is about sharing his name. He was a, he, he made it through training. Um, his first name is Seth. I called him Chachi. He was, uh, he was an example of one of these D1 football players, just totally yoked, just built like all get out several years younger than me, New York accent. Um, just, he was, he is a character like you, he could just be a TV show in himself. I love this guy. And he, he was in the pool. We were doing drown proofing and that's where you tie your hands and feet behind your back. And he couldn't do it. One, he was too muscled up. He just kept sinking. And two, it's, you know, pretty awkward. You know, you're trying to swim and you got your hands and feet tied behind your back. It's a tough situation. And he just continuously couldn't do it. And he got so frustrated and scared that he actually broke the restraints. That's how strong he was. He broke the restraints in the pool. And these are like straps. These are like breaking, not, a, not quite a seatbelt, but the description is that these are pretty thick straps. I mean, the man is strong. And he looked up at me and tears in his eyes. But he, but he like gave me this look like, What's the matter with me, Eric? What's going, you know what I mean? Like a little kid who someone just took his lunchbox away and he not only couldn't do anything about it, but didn't know what to do about it. So I would say he was a representative of one of those kind of D1 stud football players who may not yet have had to deal with things that were beyond him. Mm -hmm. And I watched him make that shift. I've watched several people make that shift in SEAL training because there are a lot of tenets of mental toughness that I think are just getting checked there. But if we're going to look at one, this growth versus fixed mindset, if there's one that you can change during an adverse situation like SEAL training, this is the one. I think this is the thing. Again, how I learned it was during a baseball tryout when I was very young. This is one of those ones that someone can pivot on. And how it happened was I, I'll take a little credit just being older and being like a little bit of a mentor for him is I just described this very same thing to him. I'm like, hey, dude, this place is a place that's going to push you past anything you can do. Because that, that was his thing. He ran up against something that he couldn't do, and he thought it was all over. And I basically described to him that, no, this is the place where that happens. No matter how good you are, they're going to find that. And he pivoted. He shifted. He's like, okay, I'm just going to go fail over and over again. And then what you're telling me, Eric, is that if I do that enough times, I'll be able to do it. And the answer is like, yes. And drown proofing is not something that takes a thousand times. It's not like riding a unicycle or mm -hmm. jujitsu. It's something that takes a handful of times. And, and that's what doesn't. I think that's a story of a lot of guys who are like, okay, I suck. I'm not going to make it, but I'm not going to quit. So I'm just going to keep going until they throw me out. And then they have that space there where they get to experience this growth mindset transition. Mm. Wow. So you, you've said a, a phrase over and over again in our conversation. I, I, I can't help but want to dig deeper into this. You mentioned the tenets of mental toughness. So I, I kind of would love to just spend maybe the rest of our time talking about what are the tenets of mental toughness? How do they show up in our lives? And then of course, how do you apply that to achieve performance? Because you know, one of the things that I've seen uh, as a byproduct of so many interviews and so many conversations is that there's often a, a performance gap between where we are and where we want to be, who we are and who we want to be. And, and I'm curious kind of, um, you know, what those tenets of mental toughness are and what role they play in bridging that gap. Yeah. So let me pull them up just so I'm referencing them one by one. And, and sure. wh while I'm doing that, I'm going to, I'm going to talk you through why they matter. Sure. Perfect. Um, so we're all really clear or if, if somebody wants to get from point A to point B, there's a process they're going to go through. And this is something I do when I teach people. 
and I get into it a little bit deeper. But let's just say they're going to they're they're where they're at and they want to achieve something. And let's just keep it simple. So they know they're going to have to go learn something. Like okay, I'm going to have to learn something new. I'm going to have to learn a new skill set. I'm going to have to grow. Um, and then that's going to drive them into what I would call the what. So they're going to say, okay, uh, like let's take diet and exercise. So someone could pretty quickly be in a situation where they understand that they need to diet and exercise. As a matter of fact, if I were to ask a room full of people like what it takes to get fit, everybody would raise their hand and say that they know what it is to get fit, right? And I would say, well, if you all know, why aren't you fit? And it's because they're missing a particular piece and that's what we call the how. The how is where these things come into play. So we've all known what to do for years. There's prophets that have told us what to do. There are philosophers that have told us what to do. Like what to do to live a good life is not a super big mystery, but the reason why people do it is they don't know how. And knowing how is an element of time, strength, and desire. This is where things start to get broken down. And the time is, that's a little bit more complex, but that's more about situational awareness and understanding what life is really made up of, assessing it, prioritizing it so that you can take focused action. I'm just going to leave that one there for what it is. A lot of people, and the basic quick way to understand that is everybody's time is 100% invested. It's just not typically producing a good life form. So I'll, I'll put that one to the side because I want to focus on the mental toughness part. Um, the other piece is strength. We don't have the mental toughness to do what we know we should be doing. And then when we teach people, um, we go into desire. I'll give you the quick description of that. I have a Belgian Malinois who are, that's the same kind of dog. It's like a German Shepherd, 30% smaller, 30% nastier than, than like a, a German Shepherd. These are what they use in the SEAL team. So I started to train this dog myself. And one of the profound things I learned as I was learning these training techniques is that old school, you would have a dog, like my dad's police dogs, you would stop them from doing what they want to do and force them to do what you wanted them to do. New school is you would change what the dog wants to do. You would change their desire. So if you put all those things together, if someone knows what to do, but they continuously can't do it, they either don't have their time dialed in right, or they aren't strong enough, meaning they don't have the mental toughness to hold the practices long enough to backfill it with desire. Does that make sense as mm -hmm. a general overview? Yeah. So that mental toughness, the reason we start there is because you can't create a situation where you enjoy running or you enjoy eating right or you enjoy going to the gym if you don't first go to the gym on a regular basis. So that's why we start with the mental toughness. And what we've done, we, we break them down into eight core tenets. And we, these are things like courage, respect, confidence, responsibility, communication, perseverance, um, and honor, and innovation. Yep, that's all eight. Mm -hmm. And I won't go over all eight right now, but if someone's struggling, like, okay, I know what to do, Eric. I, I know what to do, but why is it I continuously don't do it? I would say the answer is right here. Now, we're not talking airy-fairy courage. We're not talking just to look up courage in, the, in a dictionary. Like, we've taken courage and we've broken it down. When we teach these things, we deep dive. Like, what is courage? We describe fear. I love watching people's face when we describe how Navy SEALs feel fear. Because fear, everyone thinks we're cyborgs who don't feel fear. And it's like, well, we're fearful all the time because you could die. And to exhibit courage, you need to have fear. Courage is not, is not a lack of fear. Courage is making the right choices despite of fear. So we teach people that, but then we break down some of the science. We help people understand the fear to courage progression. We help people understand how courage can be developed through what we call learn practice experience. And on, on a, I think on a podcast like this, on, you know, when we're kind of doing this general overview, what I'd want people to walk away with was understand that these things are teachable. 
These are skill sets that we can absolutely teach. I do it with my kids all the time. And when you understand and you learn these things, you can see it everywhere. Same thing with respect or confidence. Confidence is a huge one. There is a formula to produce confidence. There is a functional definition of confidence, right? The belief that you can do something despite the fact that you've never done it before. Right? Then we move into things called swagger. These are all the things of mental toughness. These are the things that would have us be able to do the things which we know we should be doing but we continuously don't do. But here's the thing, we can't get stuck there. Like when we teach snipers how to do these long distance shots, these very difficult shots, we'll have them get their gun on target, close their eyes, take a deep breath and exhale. And then I'll ask them like, hey, is your target still in your sights? And they'll say yes or no. If the target's not still in their sights, they have two choices. One, they can muscle their sights over and try to get their shot off. Or two, they can readjust their body. This is the desire portion. If they don't readjust their body, they're going to start to experience fatigue and they're going to come off their target. And if it's an exceptionally long shot, it's a difficult shot, they must adjust their body. So the same thing, coming back to the strength and desire, we got to build the mental toughness so that you can get your gun on target, but then we have to produce the desire because otherwise you're going to start to fatigue and you're just going to quit. And if you look at a lot of people's life, right? You can see it. Effort, it's like a spike. It's like an EKG. It goes up and down, up and down, up and down because like, hey, I'm going to diet. Hey, I'm going to fix my relationships. Hey, I'm going to make more money. Hey, I'm going to start a business. And they go in with self-discipline and mental toughness. They do all of that stuff, but then they don't backfill with desire. They don't understand the science behind it all. And they get fatigued and they drop right back down like that EKG. And the bummer is life, we need to progress. And if you look at that up and down and total out the average, it's a net gain of zero. And a lot of people live their life that way. It's because they're not pragmatically learning these skill sets and the world we live in, no more can we, it doesn't work anymore. We don't get to go to college, get our job and retire after 30 years. The world's hyper competitive, so we must master these things. Otherwise, people suffer. Mm. Wow. Uh, I want to do a bit of a deeper dive into the fear and courage piece because, you know, one of the, the conversations I've often had with people uh, about their work and, and what they, they run a cross most is it's almost always shows up in some way or another as fear. Uh, and so I'm really curious about the sort of science uh, and, and sort of neuroscience aspect of fear and, and how you guys have dealt with it. I'd, I'd really like to hear about it through the lens of one of your own stories and your own experiences, uh, you know, being deployed, which I, I'm guessing there's probably confidential information that you can't talk about, but I'm guessing there's stuff you can as well. So uh, I'm wondering if you might be able to kind of walk us through a uh, story that involves fear, uh, specifically in situation w which you were called upon to deal with it. Sure. So let's 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 break fear out really quickly, right? So fear is basically this feeling of anxiety, right? And it's caused by the perception of danger, right? So fear is something that starts in our head and manifests itself in our body. And fear can lock us up. Fear can stop us from taking action. Where courage comes in is we say, okay, we feel this fear. We understand the fear is there, but we can still do the right thing, like take free fall parachuting. Um, you know, with oxygen mask and a backpack from 18,000 feet in the air, backpack strapped to your legs and, you know, in the middle of the night, right? There's a way that you can perceive danger. Um, going out on a mission where you're like, okay, there's three of us and we're in a land where there's thousands of people with AK-47s and should they just decide um, that we're no longer their friends, you know, we're cooked, we're skinned and, skinned and hung up on a bridge or something really bad's going to happen, these are fine. Like it is, here's what I think is important for people to understand. Fear is okay. Fear is, there's nothing 
unmacho about fear. The, the, the definition of masculinity as defined by pop culture is so jacked up, it has guys all screwed up. Fear is just fine. Like, it is a natural response to keeping ourselves safe. Now, some of the fear we have, right, it's either through direct observation or we've actually mentally walked it through and said, okay, should we jump off this cliff without a parachute, we will die. That makes sense, right? We can, we can organize that in our head. Now, the question is how to deal with fear. And the answer is inside of that formula I mentioned earlier, learn, practice, and experience. So I'm on a mission overseas. There's a couple three, couple three of us, very dangerous. If anything should go wrong, we're basically cooked. I'm jumping out of an airplane 18,000 feet up. You know, what am I going to do? So first, I need to learn about it. I need to learn about the parachute. I need to learn about the environment. I need to learn about my training, my skill set, my, my ability to fight to the death. These are all things I learn, and then I practice them. And now, you, you see, this is going to touch on mindset again because everything is going to come back onto mindset. But now think about people who want to be an entrepreneur, want to become a writer, or who want to get a, a raise in their job or fix a relationship, what's holding them back, this thing called fear. And the reason is, is because the fear is going to grow and we don't know how to deal with it. It's just going to get bigger because it's just this thing out there. It's like a big, scary monster. And, we, and it's just, we're, we're helpless. We have no power. Power meaning the ability to affect, affect change. Now, if you take these situations, learn, practice, experience. That's why we train so much. So we're learning how to defend ourselves. We're learning how to deploy our weapons. We're learning how to communicate via satellite technology. We're learning how to call in quick reactionary force. We're learning how to build relationships and rapport with the people who are hosting us and keeping them safe. We're learning sales skills and we're learning influence. Like there's so many things that are going on and we're practicing these things in training and then we're experiencing them with these guys. So we're actually learning to control our environment to produce this perception of power, the ability to affect change. And it happens if we're free fall parachuting or on a mission. And it's understanding that formula and understanding how to progress through it where you can decrease the fear and increase your courage. Let me just pause right there because I can go on like breaking down formulas on this left and right. But how is that landing for you, the oh, idea of that, that learn was, practice experience? No, that was, that was brilliant. Uh, there, I, I love that because it's so practically applicable to so many other areas of our lives. Like, I think you know, the, the first place my mind goes when I hear or get to talk to somebody like you is, okay, well, I don't get to go through Navy SEAL training, so how can I develop the skills that you know, might come from Navy SEAL training? And you've done a, a really good job kind of showing us how that could be applied, uh, regardless of whether we're people who can go through this training or not. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That I mean, that's the myself, Larry Yatch. He was my officer in charge of my platoon. He was the officer from Naval Academy, and I was the enlisted guy. And we have this amazing relationship. And uh, both of us, for years now, have uh, that's been our hundred percent dedication is sharing this with people because the impact is insane. Because uh, yeah, SEAL training or you know any kind of large circumstance, you do get to learn these things or experience them or discover them. And if we share them with people, the impact on their life is incredible. I mean, just thinking about that fear thing, like how many people are fear, fearful to leave their jobs or try to, to progress in their career, all of those things that hold them back. And if you start breaking it down into small bits, people start to move. They move to what I call their next truth, and it, it's going to save lives. And then once we get these people's lives handled, then they can go out and help other people. That's, that's like our mission, help people get their lives so squared away so that they can go in and help other people who are not so fortunate. Um, it's awesome. I love it. So you mentioned, um, you know, the relationship that you have with your business partner, which, which made me think that, you know, the question that it came about is, is what, what do you learn about relationships and connections from being in such adverse and challenging circumstances with people? 
There's this, uh, it's a TED Talk actually. I think her name is McDougal. I love it. She talks about, I think it's oxytocin, oxytocin, the cuddle hormone. Uh-huh. Um, and w- what she describes is, I wish I was better remembering names so I could, I want to give these people full credit because I, I just so love that they give, you know, they offer this stuff to the world. Um, but she describes extreme circumstances, how this, this, this thing called this cuddle hormones released. Um, what's unique here is the guys that I was SEALs with, that I was in SEAL training with, um, that, I were, that I was in platoons with, I just connected with a buddy I hadn't seen in 13 years. We just happened to connect on Facebook. He made some weird comment that had me think, do you live where I live? Sure enough, he did. Long story short, I met up with him the next day. It is like we've lost zero time. I have, I have buddies that I was at in that I was at odds with, that they had good cause to be angry with me and we were, had friction and we hadn't seen each other in 10 years. But because of our, our shared background, this, this, this uh, brotherhood that gets formed, um, we reconnect immediately, go through our brotherly kind of fight and argument, and then boom, arms around each other, literally sitting at the bar catching up, and you can feel our arms reach toward each other just to grab the shoulder of one another. It's this amazing um, bond. And uh, what's amazing, about, what, what I find, uh, like, when you watch the contrast between business and, and that, like, businesses always talk about wanting something like that, uh, but they never execute because they don't typically know how to create a situation like that. But it forms these relationships where you have this incredible amount of confidence um, and safety, I guess, for lack of a better word. Uh, Like I would come in on Monday and I might be feeling bad about some choices I made over the weekend, right? And you're going to show up with your brothers and they start sharing their stories and you're like, one, first, they don't judge you at all. And two, their stories have you feel like a saint. You're like, oh man, okay, I'm I'm doing pretty good. Um, So this is incredibly safe space. So in business with my partner, um, Larry Yatch, I have this amazing space with him where if I'm feeling like selfish, like this is a big thing between him and I, like I run more selfish because I was a leading petty officer. It's my job to execute and get things done. He was an officer, so they're more altruistic because their job is to enable and support us. But we have this relationship where I could just tell him exactly what's going on in my mind, even the crappy stuff. And inside of a business, in a highly functional team, the ability to transmit information like that with no drama, no cost, be like, okay, cool, man. Thanks for telling me that. I get you're feeling selfish. You're going to take your ball and go home. We're talking about it. Let's fix it. It makes for an incredibly high-functioning team. Hmm. Okay. So uh, a couple of unrelated questions uh, you know, to the, the Navy SEAL background. What is one book? Uh, it could be that or a piece of music or a film that has profoundly influenced your life that you'd want our audience to know about? Oh, that I want the audience to know about. Uh, I was I had to change my answer because I would say the movie Navy Seals, the one that had Charlie Sheen in it back uh-huh. in the 90s because it. I was like, whoa, there's this special forces in the ocean. That, so that one, it redirected me. I was literally enlisted in the army and I had to get out of that contract. So that was that was a quick one. Um, I'm trying to think of a book, you know, of course... <sighs> You know, of course, like Dick Marcinko, I got to meet him this year, but his books from way back in the day. Uh, I've heard some chatter about people being upset about SEALs writing book, which is ridiculously stupid because we all read a book or, or saw a movie that inspired us to come in. It's the, the most strongest recruiting tools ever. Um, so I guess I don't, I don't know about wanting people to know about it, but that movie Navy SEALs, that was, that was the one that spun me. I, I literally was like, oh, I'm going to do that. Looks like the coolest thing in the world. All right. So one last question, which is how we finish all our interviews at the unmistakable creative. What do you think it is that makes somebody or something unmistakable? Ultimately, it's going to come down to 
person, well, perseverance, living a life. So living a life by example, living a life so that you can lead other people to do the, like living a good life so that you can lead other people to do the same. Meaning I wanted to mix perseverance in there just, I think, cause I just wrote the class on it, but that's the thing right there. If, if, if we're wanting to live a good life, a lot of people want to live a good life because they want it for themselves. And that rarely sticks because human beings naturally want to help other human beings. It's called love. It's how this all works, right? That's how we get along. That's how we coordinate. But I believe what makes people unmistakable is once they start doing their thing, the thing that makes them great, the thing that has them stand out, and once they start doing it for the benefit of others. So I'm back to that selfishly altruistic thing. Once they start getting selfish so that they can do something amazing that will enable them to lead other people to do amazing things as well, I think that's what makes people unaccept- or I mean, um, um, great. That's what brings them uh, forth. That's what has them stand out. That's like superhero stuff. So that's my belief in, in what has people do that when they, when they achieve greatness so that they can help other people do the same. Mm-hmm. Well, this has been really, really cool and uh, eye-opening and insightful, and uh, I'm really, really glad Kamal connected us because I've just learned so much talking to you, and I, I can't thank you enough for taking the time to join us and share your story and your insights with our listeners. Oh, my pleasure, and I enjoyed being on with you. It's always great to have a, a good host that knows how to lead you through this stuff because you really yeah, appreciate extracted some fun stuff and hopefully useful, valuable stuff for the listeners too. Very cool. And for everybody listening, we will wrap the show with that. Next time on The Unmistakable Creative. So the reality is that it really should be a service. And if we took it as a service, if we really invested in human capital and putting children's needs first and really understanding what allows for um, the pathways for success for all students in our public school systems, um, then we would be fine. Mm -hmm. We would come up with solutions all the time. But unfortunately, money is made, and it's a lot of money. It's almost like the healthcare industry where people come in, they peddle their products. And whether it's a new textbook, whether it's a new um, piece of technology that's state of the art that's going to advance your classrooms, people are pushing ideas. And as a school, you are then evaluated on how progressive your school is based off of the type of curriculum you have, based off of the type of technology that's in your building. And if I say, you know what, I just want to focus on the essence of teaching and I don't feel we need all of this technology, I'm considered, you know, defiant to the process and I'm not really equipping my kids with what they need. And I'm, and, and part of the issue is that A lot of our kids who get out into the workforce have no idea of how to use critical thinking skills because we've given them everything. Principal Nadia Lopez joins us to talk about using education to build a bridge to brilliance. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Have you ever felt a twinge of worry about AI taking over your job or diluting your creativity? Well, what if you could turn that fear into creative fuel? We've just published an amazing new ebook called The Four Keys to Success in an AI World. And this is more than just a guide. It's a deep exploration into the human skills that AI can't touch, the skills that are essential for standing out and thriving, no matter how much technology evolved. We're talking about real differentiators here, like creativity, emotional intelligence, critical thinking, and much more. Inside, you'll find actionable insights and strategies to develop these skills, whether you're a creative person, a business person, or just simply someone who loves personal development. This isn't a story about tech taking over. It's a story of human creativity thriving alongside AI. Picture this AI as your creative co-pilot, not just as a tool, but a collaborator that enhances your unique human skills. The Four Keys ebook will show you exactly how to do that and view AI in a new way that empowers you instead of overshadows you. Transform your creative potential today. Head over to unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys. Use the number four, K-E-Y-S. That's unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys and download your free copy.